Hello and welcome to Upstage the Podcast, your weekly dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we are focusing on the Rocky Horror Show. We are doing a deep dive into all things Rocky Horror. But first, theatre news. The first bit of news is that the full casting has been announced for Hades Town, which is opening at the National Theatre later this year. So this is a new musical and it will star Andre de Shields and Eva Noblezada as Hermes and Eurydice, with Reeve Carney playing Orpheus. Other cast members are Rosie Fletcher, Carly Mursty's Dyer, Gloria Onitiri, who will be playing Fates, and... Amber Gray and Patrick Page will play Persephone and Hades and they actually starred in the original New York Theatre Workshop production. That's nice. So we've talked about Eva Noblezada on the podcast before. She's a favourite of ours, so I think that'd be really exciting. It's nice to see a blend of American actors and British actors, which I think we predicted when we first mentioned Hades Town, because I imagine it will transfer to Broadway. Yeah, I think that's what's expected to happen after it's run at the National. Yeah. So Reeve Carney obviously played the most iconic Broadway role of Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> God, do you remember how many people got injured in that show? I don't, I, I'm amazed so that they ever made it to the stage. It's, it is insane the amount of money that was lost on that piece of art. He also, a nice tie-in with today's podcast theme, he played Riff Raff in the Fox production of the Rocky Horror Show in 2016. Yeah, so I think that's very exciting. I was already excited about this just because it's a new musical that I've heard a lot of good things about um, and The National does good productions generally, but I'm even more excited now. The next piece of news is quite exciting, actually. So we had sort of like no idea this was coming and I don't know how. There's been no rooms of this as far as I'm aware, but... The news is that in November this year, there will be the first ever UK theatre convention. So this is the sort of London version of Broadway Con, is is how I understand it. It's taking place on the 3rd and 4th of November, so over a weekend at Shoreditch Town Hall. And it will feature, apparently, live performances, sing-alongs, discussions, cast reunions, panels, games... Games? What kind of games? Previews, workshops, meet and greets, and showcases. And there'll also be the kind of classic, um, like, merchandise section where there'll be lots of theatre stuff to buy. Um, Theatre Cafe, who are obviously on Shaftesbury Avenue, are also doing a pop-up, which is fun. And lots of people have already been confirmed to appear, so sort of subject to professional availability. But the list is pretty cool, so it includes Carrie Fletcher... Uh, Sophie Evans, Cheryl Skeet, Christina Bennington, Sharon D. Clark, Louise Dearman, Alice Fern. Lots of people who've been in Wicked, basically, seem to be appearing. Um, it's, yeah, it sounds like it could be really, really good. Um, there's been a bit of a bit of controversy about ticket prices because uh, a, a single day ticket is £85 and a weekend ticket is 160 which is quite pricey, um, especially for the first year of something when it's Un, sort of unproven and nobody knows like I mean if if Broadway Con came here I would probably pay that because like you sort of know the calibre you're going to get but it's like will they actually get and there have been a lot of bad cons like this could be the theatre's Tanacon like- Tanacon <laughs> it could be it is being presented in partnership with What's On Stage so hopefully that means it will be a quality product because What's On Stage are quality people aren't they yeah they're quite good I trust them and I mean I'm assuming you'd think that they've got some of the people, the Broadway Con people, working with them on this, and they have done several now and know what it's all about. And from what I've seen, Broadway Con looks pretty good and cool and has a lot of 
good panels and workshops and things like that. So fingers crossed that this is good and they can sort of make it an annual thing as I think they're hoping to do. So that is this week's news. We are now going to move on to talking about one of my favourite... Why is it one of my favourite musicals? It probably is. It's definitely one of my favourite musical films of all time. And I think a great score and a great story. Just a a really fun show. It's the Rocky Horror Show. This is a show that I was raised on as a child. So I don't even remember the first time I watched the film of Rocky Horror. It is my mum's all-time favourite thing. She had the book of it. She had, obviously, kind of VHS. We just, we watched this a lot as kids. And it has a really special place in my heart for that reason. Oh, that's nice. So, let's go way back to 1973, when Richard O'Brien, Richard O'Brien, who I knew first, actually, from Crystal Maze, I didn't realise until... I was much older than he had written the Rocky Horror Show. Like, I just had no idea. I just thought he was that weird ball guy from Crystal Maze. I mean, I loved him because he's brilliant, but I had no I didn't, just didn't connect the two things. I think that's probably fair. <laughs> so, at the time, Richard O'Brien was an actor. He had had small parts in Hair and in Jesus Christ Superstar, but he'd always wanted to be a writer, really. And the sort of in-between periods that he had as an actor left him time to write the Rocky Horror Show. I mean, I'm, for one, I'm very glad that he wasn't a very successful actor at the beginning, you know? (laughs) Me too. So, before we talk about the plot, let's just do a few facts. So, the original London production premiered at the Royal Court Theatre in June 1973. It then moved to several different locations in London and closed seven years later in 1980, having run for 2,960 performances and winning the 1973 Evening Standard Theatre Award for Best Musical. It's the one everyone wants. It is the one that everybody wants. Interestingly, it did not do as well on Broadway, so in 1974 it went to Los Angeles and had a quite successful nine-month run, but then in 1975, when it went to Broadway, it only lasted for 45 shows which is crazy to me, even though it earned a Tony nomination and three Drama Desk nominations, but only 45 shows. I can't believe that. So that's the sort of beginning of the production history. Abby, do you want to talk about the plot? What happens in Rocky Horror? So the Rocky Horror Show tells the story of an innocent young couple, Brad and Janet, whose car breaks down and they need some assistance. And so they knock on the door of an old house and basically inside of that house is a whole world of insanity they meet all these kind of kooky characters Riff Raff who's sort of butler handyman you know what you're right they literally say it in a song Um, he is a faithful handyman Magenta and Columbia and most importantly Dr Frankenfurter who's a sort of mad scientist who welcomes them into his home. He's also, I guess, kind of importantly a transvestite. Um, Important to the songs more than the story, really. And he is creating a sort of perfect Adonis of a man, Rocky. We all love to be able to do that. I mean, not that it ends particularly well for him, but yeah. True. And as the show goes on, Brad and Janet get kind of more buried in this crazy world and they meet eddie and lots of other characters they meet eddie sort of (laughs) underestimate like what what and who eddie is (laughs) they just meet eddie eddie's totally normal 
a lot of very weird stuff happens in this show and I feel like it's it's hard to quite capture it all maybe but all the characters as kind of slightly insane as they are all have like a kind of compassionate side at certain points and they're all just so iconic I feel like every single character is iconic in this show yeah completely it's like I want to be magenta but I know I'm a Janet you know I don't think I'm any of them. I think I would very much be one of the guests at the wedding right at the start before Brad and Janet leave the wedding. I'm just there, completely ignorant of this whole world, living my happy little life. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the subject matter was quite, not necessarily controversial, but taboo at the time. So the transvestitism and also kind of avert sexuality, particularly in Janet's song, Touch, 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 Touch Me, which is very hard to say and not sing, particularly as a demonstration of feminine lust, which, you know, obviously women do not experience lust, so quite, quite shocking. One New York critic, Rex Reed, said that the show was only for homosexuals when he first saw it. But obviously Richard O'Brien disagreed, saying that it was kind of a celebration of difference and marginalised communities being able to gather and coexist, which is much nicer. But yeah, there were a lot of people who obviously would just think that it was way too zany and out there. Speaking of touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me, it is really hard to say and not saying, isn't it? It's impossible. The music of Rocky Horror, let's talk about that because it's a fantastic score. There are some classic songs, including... The Time Warp. Which is iconic. Perhaps most notably. I don't know anybody who doesn't know the time. Even if they don't know Rocky Horror, everybody knows the Time Warp. Everybody knows the dance. Yeah, that used to be my video on my Bebo page. Oh, wow. Oh, that's just taking me right back to 2002. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Bebo. Incredible. Other great songs in Rocky Horror. Damn It, Janet is one of my favourites. So much fun to sing along to. Yeah. Sweet Transvestite. Sweet Transvestite is a great, great song. I really like Science Fiction Double Feature, which is obviously quite iconic from the film because of the lips. Obviously, you can just see the lips. I mean, there's no other way to describe that. You can just see her mouth looks like on a black screen and she's singing. And it's a very good song. I quite like Over at the Frankenstein Place. Gentle, peaceful, fun. Whatever Happened to Saturday Night slash Hot Patootie doesn't matter what you want to call it they're both good and all of these were written entirely everything was written entirely by Richard O'Brien which is actually quite rare for musicals isn't it for something to be like written and musical lyrics written by one person who then also performed who then also performed he's so multi-talented nothing he can't do so let's talk about the cast then let's talk about the original West End cast I think everybody sort of associates Tim Curry with this show in particular I mean and why not because he's fantastic so the original London cast and the original Broadway cast and the film starred Tim Curry as Frankenfurter a role that's just completely he made his own the original London cast also featured Patricia Quinn as Magenta who also went on to play Magenta in the film and of course Richard O'Brien played Riff Raff in the original London production the original Broadway production and the film version as well I mean why not write a fun role for yourself if you're going to write a musical write yourself into it obviously he also then returned a few years ago to the West End production as the narrator so I saw him in that production and the round of applause when he appeared on stage was like nothing I've ever heard. It's just there was so much love for him in that room, and like, that's just like super fun to be able to just keep doing something almost fifty years on. 
right? Yeah. Seven, yeah, absolutely. The 70s are longer ago now than they feel like, aren't they? So, yeah. Which is, yeah, very cool. So a lot of big actors have played the role of Frankenfurter over the years. So Anthony Stewart Head is, as a Buffy fan, one that I am a big fan of. And Jason Donovan and David Badella. Another iconic actor for this show is Meatloaf, who played the role of Eddie and Dr. Scott in the original Broadway cast and then carried on playing Eddie in the film version. Lots of sort of big anniversary productions of Rocky Horror that have featured a lot of cool people. Mm-hmm. So the Broadway revival in 2000 featured one of my favourites, although not Abby's, Alice Ripley as Janet, um, Ralph Spark, Riff Raff, Daphne Rubin Vega as Magenta, Leah Delaria as Eddie, Leah Delaria from Orange is the New Black. She well, is great. She's great. I can imagine um, she was an excellent Eddie. Yeah, so can I. Obviously, the 35th anniversary production in South. And starred Leah Michelle as Janet, Matthew Morrison as Brad. Creepy. <laughs> Lucas Grabeel as Riff Raff. I love Lucas Grabeel so yeah. much. Um, and Jorge Garcia as Eddie. I would have loved to have seen that. And then Danny DeVito and Jack Nicholson as the narrator and the criminologist. What a cast. I mean, that is an incredible cast. Um, and basically every time there's an anniversary. So in the 40th anniversary, there was a British kind of concert production, which had a lot of the cast who had been in the show around that sort of time playing the roles. But the criminologist narrator role was played by Emma Bunton of the Spice Girls, Aid Edmondson, Stephen Fry, Angie Stewart-Head, Mel Gidroyk, and Richard O'Brien himself. So there's always these kind of massive names stepping up to be in these anniversary shows, which I think just shows how well-loved Rocky Horror is. So even though the original Broadway production hadn't done so well, the 1975 film Rocky Horror Picture Show actually did really well in the States. It was the American audiences that really kind of helped to boost its popularity, kind of mainly because of how involved they got and how interactive it all was. So they would dress up as various characters and heckle and kind of sing and act along to certain bits. And a lot of the things that kind of originated there are still done in productions and screenings of the film around the world today so it's kind of this legacy cult activity so the film was released in 1975 and has become the longest running theatrical release in film history because it is still in limited release now so over four decades after its premiere and it's particularly shown in a lot of places over halloween so technically it's never kind of not been screened in cinemas since its release which is pretty damn impressive and in 2005 it was selected for preservation in the united states national film registry by the library of congress so it was basically deemed a particularly influential cultural phenomenon so now it is being kept safe for the people of the future when all of human races died and the aliens land on earth they will have rocky horror picture show i think now we should talk about the glee rocky horror episode just briefly because I enjoy it so much. Take it away. I never rewatch it. I'm putting that out there. Do you not? But John Stamos as Eddie. How do you not enjoy that? Um, he's a bit too clean for Eddie, in he's my very opinion. Very clean, but it's a great version of Hop Tutti. You have to admit. I'd rather watch Meatloaf, to be honest. Oh my God, you meathead. That's what they call. <laughs> that's what they. That's what they call me. <laughs> 
three episode of Rocky Horror. I think it was season three. Is it season two or season three? Blaine's um, not in it, is he? Rocky Horror Glee Show. The fifth episode of the second season. It was season two. When things were still good and things weren't terrible. And it's when they decide to somehow, ill-advisedly, decide to do Rocky Horror as... As a high school production. production. Sure, why not? I um, would say Chris Colfer as Riff Raff. That was some great casting. Chris Colfer as Riff Raff. Naya Rivera as just inspired. Great, that's also great casting. Lee Michelle is a great Janet because she was Janet, of course. A perfect Janet. The science fiction double feature, they like recreated lips with Naya Rivera's mouth, which was very good. Very nice version. Sweet Transvestite was very good. Amber Riley was very good as Frank and Furter, I thought. You know, great. How do we feel about Frank and Furter being played by women? Like, I mean, let's bring in as well that there was a Fox Liver, not to obviously step on the toes of this Glee chat, which we can go straight back to, but the Um, Fox Live version, they cast Laverne Cox as Frankenfurter. They did. And I'm just not sure how I feel about women being cast in that role. I know what you mean. I mean, I don't, I mean, to be fair, it's like, if you're going to gender flip a role, like, why not that one? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very sort of gender fluid anyway. Yeah, I would say... the logic behind it but yeah. there is something sort of iconic about the fact that he is a transvestite and yeah unless you're playing him. it as a sort of genderqueer character in which case transvestite i guess has a lot i mean transvestite's quite i don't know it feels like a term that's tied to a gender identity but like i wonder if if a 2018 frankenfurt would identify as a transvestite like probably wouldn't identify as a man so then maybe i should be more okay with being like yeah women yeah. can play the role too but it's just i find it interesting that i don't know because it yeah to me it seems like such a male role it, well, yeah it's a very male role but there is definitely like a feminine energy to it yeah so i sort of get i, I get it i know what you mean though because it's, he's not like he's very much not a woman i am cool either way more roles for the box that's what i think i mean yeah the only other thing I was going to say about Glee was that Touch a Touch a Touch a Touch Me was fucking weird. Well, I mean... Really, really odd. Great song, but just a really, really odd version of it in Glee. Just skip past that scene. Just skip right past it. I couldn't remember why it's weird, except is it just because it's high schoolers singing oh, that no, song and it's it deeply Emma inappropriate? Emma sings to win. Wait, yes, I do remember that. See, I maybe have only, re- only watched this episode like once or twice in my life. No, I've watched it several times and it's odd. Oh god, it's odd, and he's shirtless. Matthew oh, Morrison's he, shirtless. Matthew Morrison should that. never be shirtless. And it's just Emma deserved it. better. Emma deserved so much better. Do you know what? I might watch that this evening. The Glee episode. Yeah. Also, Meatloaf is in it briefly. Yes, he is. So you know, if you like Meatloaf as much as Abby does, he has a brief cameo. Yeah, I just watch his um, one line over and over again. Apparently, Richard O'Brien quite disappointed in how much they diluted the themes of. I mean. Glee, what were you expecting, Richard, when you allowed him yeah. to use your music? Yeah, I don't think I would have necessarily given Glee the rights to it no. without a lot of... I might have been like, yeah, you can have the rights if I can write and direct the episode. Yeah. And also then, also like, they'd I mean, get a great... give the rights away because you know it's going to be good publicity for the show. You can't like, criticise it for being like, oh, I didn't like what they did with it. Like Rocky Horror doesn't need Glee publicity. Mind you... But I suppose for the age of the audience, it might. Yeah, and it was the height of Glee's popularity, wasn't it? Like that that period between yeah, season popular. one ending and season two being like when they were filming season two, they could do whatever they wanted, couldn't they? Yeah, twelve million people watched that episode. I mean, that is a lot. That is a lot of people. There is no arguing with that number. It was alternately <laughs> one critic thought it was the series' best ever themed episode, and one critic thought it was the worst hour in the show's history. I feel like I feel like that sums up Glee generally. <laughs> it sums up. 
basically the point of this is that Rocky Horror is still very much relevant today. And in a lot of ways, I think, still pushes a lot of boundaries. Like, I don't think any other show has has been kind of as as kind of brave as Rocky Horror in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of things that it does that you won't see anywhere else. Yeah, mostly it's just really fun. And it's such a fun... I've watched it two, three times, live performances of it. And it is just so much fun, the energy in that room. And I am not one for getting up and dancing and singing at the end. Like, that is not my cup of tea. But for Rocky Horror, you just can't not do that. There's just so much joy around the show. And even though, like, it might not seem like this uh, a very joyous story when you think about it all it is just it is just a gem of a show full bulletin i think he's still just not doing anything when that long long summer break that we all wish we could have any other business no. You know, I'm I'm speeding through my One Tree Hill rewatch, and I'm in season three, which is one of the best seasons in my opinion. So I'm having a great time, and <laughs> approaching my birthday as if I was still, you know, fourteen. And I just really feel like that's the way to live your life. I have no other business really. Still, reading little fires everywhere. Still excited to read In Cold Blood, which will be next on my list. And I'm still watching Love Island season two. Got to pass the time till death somehow. Got to pass that time somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Next week, we will be back with part two of the 1970s. Thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.